For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Great to be back with you again. If you're new to the last three weeks, we're in a series, a portion of a longer series in Romans, and uh, this is in Romans chapter 8. Let me ask you a quick question first. I know not many people have many memories about their first grade unless they were very, very, very young now. You, you probably don't remember much. But I bet if there is a memory that you carry, it may well have to do with one issue, and that was this. Where did you line up on the pecking order in the schoolroom in terms of popularity? That seemed to be everything to us, did it not? I know in my first grade class, we had recess each day. This I do remember. It's one of the few memories that stand out in my mind about the first grade, but it was, it was recess. And uh, recess was a time where we got to play a game that we love. Now, only maybe the older folks here might remember this, but do you remember Tarzan and Jane? Do you remember? Tarzan and Jane. Well, we played Tarzan and Jane. And uh, everybody knew that we would, uh, we would elect or we would choose who would be who in this drama that we would play out during recess. Now, there were various people part of that story, but everybody knew that the first two choices were what really counted, but unfortunately, no one would ever be chosen for one of those two, except for David, who was always Tarzan, and Peggy, who was always Jane. And everybody knew that they were at the top of that pecking order. Now, where you came next had to be with how close you were in this particular game. Were you a close person to Tarzan or to Jane and so forth? And then it worked its way down to Cheetah. Now, I don't know if you know who Cheetah was, but <laughs> nobody wanted to be Cheetah, I will assure you. And then that last person that's left knew, I'm Cheetah. And that person hated the first grade. And I will assure you, David, and Peggy loved the first grade. And I'll tell you this, if you were high up in that chain, that pecking order, then you didn't mind going to school each day. If you were way down on that pecking order, you would dread school. Acceptance means everything to us, does it not? We simply want to be accepted. It's defined as something or someone that will make us feel worthy of respect and approval. That's the name of life. How can I be accepted? One thing to be accepted by our peers in the first grade, our peers in adulthood. But let me tell you, it is another thing to be accepted by the divine himself, almighty God. That's what our text is about today. It's in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. While you're doing that, I'm going to prepare for the teaching 
We're going to be in verses 14 through 17, as you've already read. Uh, but I'm going to lay a, a little foundation. Uh, these are, are realities, as I would call them. In my personal opinion, um, and it is my opinion, that these realities are accurate. You be the judge whether you agree or not. I'll come back to them at the very closing. Here are the three realities that have to do with acceptance by my observation. Number one, we all crave acceptance, every one of us do, and we will pay an incredibly high price in order to get it. Whatever it costs, we want it. We'll sell our souls, many do, to acquire it. Youth, you young people, you know this better than anybody. You young people, you know how important it is. Every day, all thoughts seem to go around. How am I accepted and so forth? Number two, observation. There exists the reality of what is called the power of greater love. The power of greater love, which simply means this. Acceptance by the greater love will always trump acceptance by the lesser love. For instance, if you have the opportunity to either be close to the popular class leader and find acceptance with them, or you have to choose between that and the person that we might think of as the, the, the class misfit or, or maybe the class clown, you know who you're going to choose. You have an opportunity as young people to go to, to lunch and sit at your lunchtime with the more popular person or the least popular person, you know where you're going to go. Because there is something to that. We absolutely want it so badly. So that's number two. Number three, we will naturally assume we are not accepted. Hear this. We will assume we're not accepted until there is overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Overwhelming. Another way of putting it is uh, unexpected news of acceptance must have verification. So, good illustration of it. Carol and I had dated for uh, four plus years. I don't know, a long time. We're now, we're now through college, and, and we're at the age that friends are getting married. We've dated long. We, we're not thinking anybody else in our life except the two of us. And, and, but uh, as far as Carol would know, uh, there was no immediacy to where I would ask her to marry me. But I had been thinking for a long time now about when and how and so forth and so on. And so, um, I, you know, I, I had it all planned out. And I knew that when I would ask her about marrying, that she would probably, hearing me so often playing jokes and so forth, that she would be like, oh, is this serious or is it not? And so I, I told a couple of my buddies, I said, you know what I'm going to do for fun? I know she's going to wonder whether I'm really being honest or not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have her engagement ring on her finger when I ask her without her knowing it. And my buddies would say, you can't do that. I said, oh, yeah, I can't do Watch. Well, I won't tell you how I did it, but I did it. It literally was on her finger as we were about to leave for the evening on an outdoor beautiful uh, lake area. We were standing there, and I, and I said, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you. Very dark. I said, would you marry me? So just predictably, I mean, don't know the exact words, but something like this. Randy Pope, which means there is some seriousness when you use the last name. <laughs> if this is a joke, I will kill you. <laughs> I happen to have a little pen light in my hand. 
And I shot it down on her wedding, on her finger. And she sees a diamond on that finger. It was verified. No doubt, this is for real. Let me tell you, folks, to hear that God loves you, that God loves me, with all the mess in our lives, all the brokenness, all the unfaithfulness, there's just something in us that says, I just find it hard. I, I know, I know I've heard that he does. I know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just find it very, I need verification. I got to know, does God really, really love me? Well, that's what these three weeks are about. Let's give a quick overview of chapter eight. So you kind of put all this in context. Uh, it's what I call the four greatest gifts of the Christian faith. They're life gifts. And here are the four. We're in the first of the four of these three weeks. And you're going to pick up and carry on through these. Maybe not in the same outline, the same way. But, but this just gives you the bigger picture of Romans 8. Number one, acceptance, verses 1 through 17. That's what we're spending our time on. We're in the last four verses of that segment. And that is the great gift where we can say, I can now experience divine acceptance. Number two is suffering. And I know that comes as a, a, a shot. What, what, uh, one of the great gifts, you just wait for the next weeks. I'm telling you folks, suffering is one of the greatest gifts. We'll touch on it briefly in our text today, but it'll be expanded on greatly over the next weeks. Number three is assurance, meaning assurance of good. I can now accept good from all things. And then number four, verses 31 through 39, security. I can now be certain of never being separated from the love of God. Wonderful text that closes that out. Now, let's now focus a little tighter. Let's look at these 17 verses, just an overview of what we've already looked at. So, how can I know that I'm accepted? On what basis do I find this verification that I am a child of God? If I am, and maybe will help me figure out maybe if I'm not. Here is the verification. Number one, God's Word says so. God's Word says so. It's the testimony of God's truth, verses 1 through 4. So I taught that two weeks ago. Number two, my life says so. Jerry taught verses 5 through 13 last week. The evidence of a changed life. And then this week, hear this. The Holy Spirit says so. Oh, wait, wait, you said God's Word says so, now God, Holy Spirit, what's the difference? That's what we're going to find out. Here's the quick review. Three weeks ago, or two weeks ago from this week now, point one, I taught the importance of feeling lovable. I made the comment, the degree to which we are loved does not dictate how much we believe we're loved. Do you know there are plenty of us here that probably are loved by God? Because if you are a child of God, he loves you immeasurably. But that doesn't mean that you feel loved by God. You can go through and, and, and hear that he loves you. You can hear it in God's word over and over and over again and still sit there and say, I don't care. I don't feel loved because I don't believe that I'm lovable. It's hard for me to imagine that God could love me the way I am. And we said, now you've got to understand why you're loved. First of all, God's word says so, and here is 
why he would love you. You got to get some understanding of this because you say, well, why would he love me the way I live? Why would he love me so broken? Why would he love me? Why, 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 why? And then you realize what God's word says. Oh, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do, as God would say, with me himself. He said, you know why you're lovable? Just a quick review. You know why? Two reasons. You've been freed from sin to begin with. Because if you remember, this is me and this is my sin nature. I come into life like this, just like you do. And I am sin. I am sin. But I have been freed from sin. I've died to sin. I've been separated So now, this was when sin is me. Now sin is in me. Oh, he hates the sin. But as long as it's not me that's sin, but it's sin in me, oh, he can have that hatred for the sin, and he loves you and me to death. But number two, we've been united to Jesus. Now that hand that's been broken away from the nature, you remember that third hand comes in, which is the Spirit of God, and now... This is me and the Spirit. It's called a mystical union. And we taught it that first week. It's Christ in us and us in Christ. How do you explain that? Oh, you can't explain it. Well, how? it's mystical. Well, it's a union, but it's mystical. But you believe in it and you begin to understand, oh, that's how he could love me. I am not sin any longer. Sin is in me. And i got to learn to deal with that. And that's why you go through the book of Romans. Oh my goodness. Very important to understand that. Jerry, last week, I was here, did a wonderful job. and talked about this second part. Not, not, it's not just that God's word says so, but how do I find verification? Well, I look at my life. I look at my life and I say, hey, look how I'm different. Look what God has done. Look how he has taken me. And uh, as Jerry taught, it's God, not just in us, but God through us. And we began to say, you know what? That's not just me. That's, that's God doing something in me. Wow, wow, look what he's done in my life. Look what I'm changed. My, 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 my. And next thing you know, we say, well, that's a great verification. But it doesn't end there. So this week we get to the last four verses. This week it's talking about the Holy Spirit says so. And that's our text that we just read in Romans 8, 14 through 17. So let's jump into it. Here's the outline. You've got it written in your your little uh, insert. If you want to look at it, it's just a very, very simple, simple outline. There are two realities which convince us that we're accepted by God that deal with the Holy Spirit. Number one is the Spirit's control, 14 and 15. And then the last two verses, 16 and 17, the Spirit's witness. Now, all we need to do to understand the text is just... Figure what do those two things mean right there. And so, let's first of all see how John, I'm going to take it away from our text where Paul's writing. Let's see what John has to say about this whole idea. He says this in John 3, 1 John 3, 24. He says, we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Hmm. We know that God abides in us. How? Well, it's because of the Spirit who is within us. That's mystical. What does that mean? 
So what Paul is going to do, he says, I'm going to break this open a little bit more than what John did. John just commented on this, but, but I'm going to really break it open to you. So here's what he says. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about the Spirit's control. Look at verse 14 with me. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Well, first of all, we've got to figure out what does it mean to be led by God. This is synonymous to other statements that talk about who walk in the Spirit, same thing as led by the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, same thing as led by the Spirit. Under the control of the Spirit, same thing. It's just saying those who live by the control of the Holy Spirit. Very important. Well, how, how do you live under the control of the Holy Spirit? You appropriate the power of God's Spirit. How do you do that? The first sermon I gave here. You might be able to find it. I don't know if you have that where you can pull it up somewhere, but I can tell you this. You could go on perimeter.org slash pope. And if you scroll down, you'll see things I highly recommend, and one of them is about a 15 to 20-minute explanation. How do you appropriate the power of God's Spirit? I'd say this. If you, as a Christian, say, I don't really know how to appropriate it, then you are missing the greatest, most important teaching for the Christian. Please make sure you understand that. How do you appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit? But that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. He said, those who are led by the Spirit, they're sons of God. Now, why does he say sons of God? Well, he's simply saying that it's, it's a, you have a similar disposition or character as God. Uh, you reflect who your Father is. So those who are living under the control of the Spirit, they're kind of godlike. Now, how does that convince us? Well, remember what Jerry said last week. It's by the, it, our life says so. Look at the way I'm living. It, it's different. I'm, I'm under the control. Like Paxson just talked about, he was under the control of alcohol. Uh, how, how does he know he's free from alcohol? Well, he's not under the control of alcohol. It's the same thing, but it's the Spirit of God. Look at verse 15. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery again, or leading to uh, fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That must have been pretty important to Paul, because in the book of Galatians, he says almost the same thing. He says it this way, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba would be the term that would be used of, um, uh, uh, well, I'll get to the term Abba in just a minute. Let me, uh, let me first just suggest this, that uh, when under the control of the Holy Spirit, the text is saying, you are freed from fear. Fear of what? It's the fear of condemnation. This whole chapter begins you're therefore now under no condemnation. Somebody who's struggling with assurance of their salvation, they live with a fear. The fear is, what if I die? What if, what if I don't go to heaven? What happens if, what if I'm not really a Christian? And they live with that fear. They said, well, if you want that fear to diminish, here's what you need to do. Live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Here's my story. 
My story was that I assumed I was a Christian because I went to a Protestant church. My family was Protestant. We went to church weekly and da, 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 da. It was that stuff. And I just assumed I was a Christian. I remember that I was invited to a crusade, which is a big gathering at our high school where they had a, uh, a, you know, a stadium. And so we gathered there to hear this noted evangelist come in and is going to preach. And, and I was going to go there and support the Christians. And I get there and I hear the question being asked at the very end of that message, the first night. And he says simply this. He says, how many of you here know that when you die, you're going to heaven? Well, I remember I was always worried about wanting to know. How can I know? How can I know? And my church taught that you could not know because you could lose your salvation from the teaching of my church. And if you lost your salvation, you didn't have it. If you gained it back, you did have it. And so it was very important to die on a timely basis, you know, make sure you're the in, not the out when you die. And so I, that kind of worried me. And so I went and listened to this person and said, how many of you know that you have eternal life? And I thought everyone was like me, that nobody knew. And I thought, well, he's making a point. Nobody's going to, and here are hundreds and hundreds of hands that go up. And I go, oh my goodness, what, what's that? How do they know? I said, you can't know. And then he said this. He said, and by the way, if you don't know, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But I would assume that maybe I'm not, and I would certainly pursue further. And I sat there and I went, oh, he's talking about me. And then he said this, how many of you would like to know that you have eternal life? Well, I'm not a hand raiser. Well, my hand goes straight up among many others. And I said, I want to know. And with that, this is what he said. He said, you know, the Bible says, if you don't know, that you can know. And he quoted 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And I said, oh, the Bible says you can know? And I don't know? Oh my goodness. He said, you know, you need to come down forward. You come down and we'll pray. Invite Jesus to come to your heart. Well, I didn't, I'm not walking. I'm, you think I'm not a hand raiser? I'm not an aisle walker, I promise you. you know? I don't do that. But I saw all these people go down, and then the guy there on the stage had all the people in front of him, and he prayed. He prayed with the people. They bowed their head, and I said, well, I, I can do that. So I go home, and I said, now, I'm going to get on my knees. I thought that was pretty good because these people were standing. I didn't walk the aisle, but I am on my knees, you know. So I listened to the prayer very carefully. Do you admit you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Yes. Would you, have you surrendered your heart to him? And I went, ooh, I don't think I've done that one. And I remember right there, I got down on my knees and I said, God, you come into my heart. I am a sinner. I believe it. I know that you died for me. Now come into my heart. Amen. And I remember I looked up and I went, ooh, it didn't take. <laughs> so I went and listened the next night. Did I miss something? I didn't miss anything. So I went back home. I didn't walk the aisle that night, but I got back on my knees. And I said, Lord, I may be like a vaccination. Sometimes people have to have two. I said, I'll, I'll try this again. I did the same thing. Come into my life. Amen. I looked up. I said, ooh, he didn't come in again. I did it three or four times until the last night. And I'm standing there and I'm going, yeah, it must be something about that aisle, I guess. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to miss this thing just because I won't walk down an aisle. So I said, all right, do it. So I go down the aisle and they put me with a little counselor. Everybody has their own counselor down there. And he prayed the prayer and I bowed my head. And the main guy, I used his prayer and he was good. 
But when I raised up, it didn't work there either. And I turned to my counselor. I said, by the way, y'all need to know something. What y'all are doing is not working. (laughs) And the counselor looked at me and said, what? And I said, I did it four nights at home on my knees. Did it down here with this main guy, and it's just not working. He said, how do you know it's not working? I said, nothing happened. I knew nothing happened. He said, wait, do you understand what faith is? Faith isn't seeing something. It's not hearing something. It's not tasting or feeling something. Faith is trusting what God has to say. He's so wise. This is what he said. doesn't mean you're a Christian because you prayed that prayer. Here's how you'll know you're a Christian. You'll know it by the fruit in your life. Give it two weeks, a month, a month and a half. You keep pursuing after him. And when that heart changes and your life begins to change, that's how you'll know. And you know, that's when the fear of condemnation left me. It took probably a month, a month and a half. But I started seeing changes. I went, ah, well, this connects right here. See, before in our text, verse 15, it says you were a slave. And slavery leads to fear of condemnation. That's religion. Versus adoption as a child, that's being led by the Spirit. That is relationship. And so this great term, Abba, Father, uh, Abba's the Aramaic. And so uh, being Jewish, uh, you know, that would be resonating certainly with Paul. Abba, Father. But Father is the term that would be used by the Greeks. So he's related to everybody. It's a, it's a, a familial term. It's, it's having to do with relationship and so forth. See, Abba was a, a, such a cool word because it didn't take teeth to be able to say it. A little child could say it. Abba, Abba. I remember when we became grandparents, the first grandchild that was born. We knew either we picked our names or they were going to pick some wild name that we don't want and so forth. And so we had to debate what do we want. We went through the debate and it it just narrowed down to two with me. It was either going to be Pops or the the Reverend Grandfather Pope. We didn't know (laughs) which one. Well, of course we didn't use the Reverend Grandfather Pope. A little baby, I remember, who knows what would, but pops, even a little child. And when that little child sees the one that they love and trust and believe in, their mama, their father, oh, that's when I feel secure. That's what he's saying here. He said, this is how you can know. So the idea is here, no fear when the child is with the father. Now, that's the first piece, the control of the spirit, but you've got to add that to the witness of the spirit, and this is what I think is so cool. The witness of the spirit, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says in 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this becomes a little bit more mystical at this point, but it becomes all the cooler. Here's what he's saying. Bears witness means to testify. It's a courtroom term. It would be as if you are arguing your own case for why you are truly a Christian, and you're just not convincing yourself. And you say, I'm, t- I'm saying the right things, and I know I did this, and I said, I did, and God, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've, I think I have, and I've da 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 And all of a sudden, here, walking through the doors of the courtroom, is the Holy Spirit himself. 
And what does he do? He bears witness in that courtroom and breaks the trial wide open. The case is just broken wide open at that point, convincing the jury of my innocence. What does a, if you're going to bear witness, what do you bear witness on? Good evidence. That's why control, these two verses about control, come before witness. And the witness of the Holy Spirit is such that he convinces our own spirit that we are a child of God. So it's not just that God's word says so, and that's important to know. And that my life, it actually shows forth that there's a change. That's very important. But let me tell you, it has to go further than that. It's the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. And hear what Richard Sibbs has to say about this. Sometimes our spirits cannot stand under trial. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Holy Spirit is necessary. It comes in saying, I am your salvation, and our hearts are stirred up and comforted with joy inexpressible. This joy has degrees. Sometimes it's so strong and clear we question other, nothing. Other times, doubts come back fairly soon. So you may relate to either one. The Spirit does not always witness unto us by force of argument from our sanctification, but directly by way of presence. Meaning, yes, He uses the witness of our own life and He throws it back to us and says, look at the change. I saw peace in my life that I'd never had. I saw assurance I'd never had. I went, wow, 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 look at this. This is amazing. Look, this must be God at work in me. But sometimes that's not so evident. And his spirit comes in directly by way of presence. As the sight of a friend's presence comforts without him speaking at all. Last verse, verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed, hear this, if we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering? That's what Jerry's going to hit on next week, starting next week. It's suffering. See, this mystical union, hear this, folks. Seeker, you hear this. You know, this union we're talking about, it includes sonship, and we say, I love that. It includes, number two, inheritance. Oh, we love that. I skipped to number four. It also says, number four, glorification, glory. Where we're made perfect, and we go, oh, I love that. But do you know many of us are trying to live our Christian life as if to say those are the three that we're supposed to live by and enjoy? And we leave number three out, which is suffering. And we say, the Christian life shouldn't have suffering. I heard someone just this yesterday kind of talking about this. Well, why does God have us suffer? Why would God do, why outcome suffering? Let me tell you, suffering is a very, very vital part. By the way, just in quick, you'll get the broader teaching. Do you know why it's so important? Suffering is what God uses to reveal our functional saviors. 
that we look to to save us. Oh, if I can have friends. Oh, if I can have this. If I can have a success. If I can have... And then we get all of this suffering. And suffering just rips those things away and says, they don't do anything. I'm suffering. And there's only one who can come to our rescue. The true Savior. That's why it's so important. I read a story of a child a number of years ago that could not experience pain. No beta endorphins, couldn't feel any physical pain whatsoever. It blocked all pain sensation. This child could literally have a, 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 a match put under the finger and it would burn it off and never feel a thing. And some people say, oh, how wonderful, never. No, it's the worst of all things. In this broken body, we need to feel pain. It's the greatest safety to a life that is everlasting and good. Very important. Let me address one exception and then I'll close. What about the exception? Hey, I'm following the Lord. I can see change in my life. I, I, I'm trusting in Him. I don't feel accepted at all. I, I really wonder if I'm really a child of God. Though I I really am following him and have been for years. I, I just never have never really experienced much feeling of acceptance by God. You know, I've asked two questions. I've asked many a person. I've asked, been asked that question who knows how many times. I always answer with two questions. As number one, are you faithfully following the Lord? Not perfectly, but are you seeking daily to follow him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, then here's the second question. Do you believe at all that you can merit the salvation of God? Do you think you can do anything to merit His love? And I'll hear this. Oh, no. And I said, then why would you follow Him? If you know you don't merit by doing so, why do you keep following? And I said, I'll tell you why. He who keeps my commandments, he it is that loves me. He doesn't say he who feels. No. It's a wonderful thing to have those feelings. Then I'll ask these two questions. I'll say, let me ask you this. Have you had a tragic life experience relationally? Tragic in any form or fashion? With your parents? With the fiance? Have you had any tragic, tragic? Number two. Have you had abuse in your family? Have you had some kind of abuse where at least there was conditional acceptance and you knew you had to absolutely meet their merit or you didn't get accepted? And I'll so often hear, I have had one or two of those. Yeah. And I say, you know what's happened? You've kind of been like the paralytic who can't use their arms. They, something happened to them. It wasn't, wasn't your fault. You're in a wreck or something. Can't use your arms. And you have to learn how to live life without the use of arms. It's like the pilot has no sense of direction at all. Better know how to use those instruments and see what it says. I think when people can finally learn, oh, there's a reason why I'm in a unique situation. I am the emotional paralytic in terms of being able to feel certain things. I have to be careful. Don't let the match hit the finger. I won't feel it. It's that kind of a thing. But it doesn't mean you're not a follower. There you got to start saying, okay, there's a reason. God, thank you for my salvation. Let me close. 
Remember those three realities that I mentioned to begin with? Let's read them again in light of the gospel. We all crave acceptance and will pay an incredibly high price to get it. Here's the good news called the gospel. We pay no price. Jesus paid it all on Calvary. No price whatsoever. Number two, there exists the reality of what, the, what is called the power of greater love. I mean, the greater love always trumps the lesser love. You see, Jesus' love for us, he went to the cross of Calvary. It trumps every single love that this world can ever, ever offer. Young people, I know you're loving the acceptance of friends, and you've got to act a way, you've got to speak a way, you've got to think, you've got to be like, you have to do in order to be acceptance. Well, don't you forget this. There is a God of this universe who accepts you that is far greater love than you will ever, 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 ever experience. Putting all of that together, it will never compare. And therefore, what you should be saying is, oh, i got to keep my attention on the great divine love. It will trump other love. You try to get rid of those other loves without the greater love, it ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Number three, we will naturally assume we are not accepted until there is overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And that's why God has given us verses 1 through 17. Overwhelming evidence. Yeah, God's word says so. Overwhelming evidence. Oh, yeah, my life says so. Number three, overwhelming evidence. The Holy Spirit says so. That's how we know. It all starts at the cross. Everyone, if we want to find that love, go to the cross. And you stare at the cross until you find that great love. My hope is that you as believers, you as believers will know you are lovable because of what God has done for you. That you will know that you're accepted by God will never be condemned. And that you seekers, you'll be able one day soon because you go to the cross and see his love and you'll go home every day as a David or a Peggy. And when you go home as David and you go home as Peggy, you say, there's a lot of bad stuff in this life, but I'm okay. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant to every single Christian who is here a unique sense of being lovable because of what you've done and see how much Every one of us are loved by you. For the seekers that are here, God, grant them to see even afresh for the first time. Don't care, but we just pray, let them see this unusual love by seeing what you did at the cross of Calvary. And may it trump all the lesser loves until we get to enjoy knowing that we're loved by you, the divine. So we thank you and we pray all in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.